0: your average mother runner podcast my name is lisa and this is not just a podcast about running this is a podcast to empower women through fitness and health and everything in between because let's be honest ladies this journey could suck if we don't get our shit together Welcome back to Not Your Average Mother Runner Podcast. I am your host, Lisa. I want to thank everyone so far that has been providing me with amazing feedback, and I truly appreciate it. Don't forget to leave some of that feedback on the listening platforms. It really helps me a lot. Also, be sure to subscribe to iTunes and Spotify and iHeartRadio so that you will be notified of new episodes. Many of you are asking me where can you find the episodes? When do I drop them? Well, when you subscribe, you get notified every time I drop an episode. So be sure to subscribe. So today's guest is Rev Shell. She is a metaphysical minister I had to practice that, by the way, Um, (laughs) family constellation facilitator and a clinical hypnotist. And you all are probably wondering, what does this have to do with fitness and health journey? Well, it has everything to do with it. And when I spoke in my welcome episode and that I was going to talk about fitness and health and everything in between, well, this is the in-between part when we don't do the work for our mental and emotional well-being, they have a way of coming back into your space. So I brought Rev Shell here to talk about some of those things and how it impacts our journey and what can we do to heal. So thank you, Reverend, for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. Thank you. I
0: know. I'm really excited to talk about this as well. I was reading a lot of the information on your website, and amazing. I just wow. Um, even your, back, <laughs> yeah, your background. Yeah, your background story is amazing. So, if you could just discuss briefly your background story, so the listeners know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. So, um, as you said, so I'm a metaphysical minister. Uh, I am a family constellation facilitator and a clinical hypnotist. And you're like, how do all those things match together? And what is it that you do? So, uh, my, so my specialty and, the women, and what I do in my private practice is I work with women to help them connect the dots from their mother wound to issues in their life. So issues in their uh, relationships, their finances, their careers, their health and wellness, their fertility, um, uh, their friendships, all kinds of issues. Because at our core, the relationship that we have with our mother shapes the way that we learn to orient and to exist in the world. And when that relationship is uh, damaged, or when it has challenges, or when we were either over-mothered or under-mothered, it can really affect the way that we show up uh, in the world. Specifically around health and wellness, uh, we carry the stories of our family and we carry the stories of our mother in our bodies. And those stories around health and wellness will shape the ways that we care for our bodies. It'll shape the food we eat. It'll shape the way that we carry weight and don't carry weight. It'll shape the way, like there's so many ways that it affects our bodies and our health and our wellness that having a chance to talk about how our mother wound affects that is uh, really important. And I'm so glad that you have me here to be able to talk about that. How did I get into this work? Uh, I think that's what you're asking me. Yes. <laughs> oh well, you know, when I was a child. No, I'm <laughs> I mean, really, it is. But <laughs> a long time ago. A long time ago. Um, it's interesting. Like when I think of, when I look back on my life, I can see such a a very what feels like a very um, intentional path to get here. But it was. I feel also that it was very uh, happenstance and it was just a bunch of events that, put, that happened in my life that got me here. Um, I was a, a child of um, an addict. I, uh, I experienced childhood trauma growing up um, in and out of foster homes my whole life until I got married at 14 when I had my daughter. Um, I had uh, my daughter at 14, a son at 15, and a son at 19. I was divorced from their father by the time I was 19. Um and then I kind of went out into the world uh as um a young person trying to find my way. Um I was able to build really, you know, good careers I feel purely by accident. Sometimes I look back and I was like, how did I get that job? I have no idea.
0: Right.
1: Okay. Um, but I built a really successful, uh, real estate and finance career. And, um, a few years ago, I had some really big things happen in my life and I decided to, um, shift and change careers. And in that shift and changing of careers, I uh, became a hypnotist and I really went down this whole entire holistic journey of what it means to heal our life. And, um, you know, I, I thought oh, I was learning a skill. I'm going to be a hypnotist. I'm going to learn family mapping. I'm going to learn how to you know facilitate family consolations. And really, what it is, it's like this big. Uh, you just I kind of dip myself in this that of self healing and awakening. And um, that's what got me to do the work that I'm doing right now, specifically with women and helping them heal their mother wound.
0: Wow. Yeah. That was and the
1: short version. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and if anybody
0: gets a chance and will share her website, it's. Brief background, but it is it's a it's good information just to know you know just her background and where she is now and how she's overcome that that experience. what is trauma
1: yeah um I first want to say trauma is relative. Uh, trauma is really something that um, one person has to define for themselves. What may be traumatic for one person may not be for another. For a child um, who is just first born, being separated from mom because they had to go in an incubator, Right. To make them safe, to help them be well, for whatever reason, is a trauma. Because if you think about the ways that a mother carries the baby in her womb, they're completely almost one being. Everything that the baby uh, needs, it gets from mom, it only knows the world of mom. And then to be separated, uh, even for a few hours, even for a day, can start to create this uh, internal environment that teaches them that maybe this love and connection thing. Uh, this relationship thing maybe isn't the safest, and so we start to develop uh, these unconscious narratives about love and connection and, and the ways that we orient to the world. So it could be something as simple as that to something more traumatic like abuse or um you know, you know, mom and dad um, are you know they you're three years old they want to move across the country and they leave you with grandma and grandpa for, you know, 30 days so that they can go move and get settled and then they come back and get you. Well, that 30 days in a child's eye looks like full abandonment. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then how is it that, um, that, that is resolved then within the child? How does, how do then they learn that they can trust connection again? So it it can be a very, what, what we as grownups feel would be a very, um, small, insignificant thing, but to a child can be very, very traumatic. And so, um, you know, because we are mother wound, or what's called in the work I do, a breaking the bond, is really uh, developed between, say, you know, in utero to about seven. Um, you know, we're looking at what this trauma looks like through the eyes of a child, and 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 what it could look like for us would be very different for what it would look
0: like for a child. Would you say that everybody had? Some sort of trauma? Well, you explained the, the, that small piece where you said being separated from your mother as, as a baby, but would yeah. you say going beyond that, would you say everyone has some sort of trauma?
1: I will. And here's why. Not because we don't just carry the experiences of ourselves. We also carry the experiences of our mother and her mother and our father and his, you know, mother and father and our ancestors. We carry within our bodies uh, those stories as well. And so even though we may not have a direct, you know, traumatic thing that we've not resolved or that we're holding on to or, you know, that affected us in some big way, chances are your mom did. Chances are your dad did chances are your grandma did. Um, We just live in a time where everybody uh, will be exposed to trauma in one way or another, you know, no matter who you are. And so um, there are, we will experience trauma. The difference is then how is that trauma resolved? What happens with those emotions? Do you feel them? Are you, do you feel like it's safe to feel them? Um, Or do you have to stuff them down? Do you have to not acknowledge them? Do you have to just eat it and carry it? And that makes all the difference in how trauma then shows up later in your life or does not. And so the the short answer is yes, I think everybody carries trauma. It's just to
0: what degree. I love that you just said what you just said just now because that's my next question. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um yeah absolutely you said that some people stuff it mm-hmm. um some people feel it but let actually let me just take a further step and you mentioned carrying the trauma of a parent so mm-hmm. just so that the listeners know that could be anybody any kind of traumatic event that your mother or father had experienced in their own childhood is then brought into to your space and then you're—I mean, would you say that's how it is? And then you're, then you're carrying it as well.
1: In the simplest answer, yes, right. So what we're talking about is epigenetics. We're talking about um, the ways that so epigenetics means on top of genes. And so if your parents experienced something traumatic that was not healed, that was not. Um, uh, dealt with that was not resolved uh whatever is not resolved in one generation gets passed down to the next generation so yes um and and what you carry is like a, a um, just a, a like almost a layer or a, or a, a gene on top of your genes that says if there's something that similar triggers what this this survival gene is um then we're going to activate the stress response in your body so that you have the ability to deal with that. So what you're doing is you're carrying an extra stress ability to deal with stresses that maybe you should never have to carry because that wasn't a trauma that you experienced. So it, simple answer is, um, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I say yeah. that because I've I have had so many friends who've held their parents' mm. trauma.
1: Oh yeah,
0: uh, and as if it happened to them, and it didn't, but they're yeah. holding it as if it did.
1: Yeah, and and here's and it gets a little more complicated than that, right? Because it's not just what your parents experienced and then didn't resolve; it's what they experienced, what they didn't resolve, and how that shaped them into the parents that they are, and how they parented you. Yeah. So it's it comes at it from both ends. It's it's both uh, nature and mm. nurture.
0: So let's go back to the what, how some people stuff it, some people feel it. Let's talk about the, the stuffing of feelings and how that manifests into somebody's health and fitness journey.
1: Yeah. I think I have to go back a little bit further than that, because what we're talking about is the way that children learn to exist within families and how they learn to um, uh, feel love and be connected and how they learn to feel safe. So, you know, stuffing feelings or the way that you deal with feelings is often not a conscious thought. It's a very subconscious thought. And so somebody stuffs feelings. uh, The first, my first inclination is to find out, well, why was it not safe to express yourself? Mm -hmm. What did you learn within your family that made you have to stuff everything that you're feeling. Were you not able to express your emotions? Were you not able to show pain? Were you not able to show fear? Were you not able to show sadness? And children who exist in a a world where they were not able to express themselves will often become stuffers. So I was a stuffer, right? Because I learned that in order for me to survive, I had to be the helpful one. I had to be the one to take care of everybody. And then what did that translate into my life? I was the codependent one. I was the control freak. I was the one who had to do everything or else was it wasn't going to get done right. And in that, it made me have love and connection in my life because that's what I learned about love and connection and how you get it in my family. Did that answer your question? I yeah. Like no, no,
0: no, no. That, yeah. that was perfect. And you know everything that you said was perfect but then i'm thinking how does that manifest being a stuffer mm-hmm. be how does that manifest into someone who's like oh i'm going to i'm going to go on this weight loss journey i'm now going to eat healthy i'm going to be fit how does that manifest and the reason why i'm bringing this up mm-hmm. because as a nutrition coach and i said this to another friend of mine who's a therapist i said i almost feel like i do therapy because mm-hmm. it's deeper than that when we're talking about eating and eating healthy, it goes on an all a whole nother level. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have to go there because we're gonna have to, you know, work on this before we can work on what you really want to work on. So that's yeah. why I am asking. <clears throat> yeah. It it really is about like what are the
1: lessons and, and, and what we're talking about here is what are the lessons that you learned about emotion. Um, and how do they translate into the lessons and the ways that you treat food? Because emotion and food tend to be really closely uh, related. Mm-hmm. And so if you um, if you learned in your family that it was not okay to feel the feelings, that you had to stuff everything down, well then how that may translate, not always, but how that may translate to somebody who has um, uh, weight issues or body issues that they're trying to now, you know, work on is do they um, when they feel emotion do they stuff food do they do they do they eat do they stuff their mouth with food do they um, do they uh, overeat do they eat to the point where they um, no longer feel the emotion and so it directly relates to the way that they treat food as well. And so if I'm working with somebody, um, one of the things I didn't do as a hypnotist when I was just doing hypnosis is I didn't do like weight loss hypnosis. We would always have uh, deeper conversations about what the food meant and what the issues with food meant, right? So how, what was your relationship with food? What did it mean to you? What need did it serve? Because you know, we know that it nourishes your body, but what did it actually do for you emotionally? What were you eating? And what were you eating in correlation with certain foods or with certain emotions? There's a really great book out and I'm trying to find it. Um, It's by Louise Hay. And it is, oh man, where is it? Um, It's a book that says, if this is your go-to food, this is your, This is the emotion that you're feeling. Wow. Yeah. And that was really helpful to a lot of my clients because instead of just talking about the behavior or the food that you're eating, because so many people, when we talk about diets, we talk about getting healthy, we focus on the food, but we don't focus on what the food means to us Mm -hmm. or what the food means in correlation to emotion. And I think when you start to get into that space, then you can really have breakthroughs in understanding why you maybe overeat. Why do you, why do you stuff your face when you are really sad? Why do you eat your feelings? You know, um, though that's how it can correlate, but then there's other ways that, you know, food and emotions correlate with, you know, say eating disorders and, um, and ways like that.
0: No, that, that it would be amazing if you can give me a reference of that book. And I'm sure everybody else would love to know about that book. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm so glad you mentioned that and explained the correlation because there is that correlation between eating and the emotion aspect. I know we talk about it. Everyone talks about it, but no one really, I feel like someone, sometimes people don't really believe it. Yeah, (laughs) They really don't believe it. They don't, or it just becomes like this,
1: um, you know, like, you know, we joke with it, right? Like, you know, it's, we're sad. We go and we grab a a bag of chips, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I'm like, Oh, I'm just sad. I'm just going to eat my feelings. And really what I am is angry because chips and crunchy food is about (sighs) expressing anger. And so if we can get to that part of it, then, okay. So where does that anger come from? What is really at the core of that anger, and what does it say about uh, the way? Then I'm, you know, the issues that I'm dealing with in my life. But then also, what does that say about the way that I treat my body, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you know, and one of the things that, and how you know, family mapping and really our mother wound plays into this is we will go at the pace of our family. It's called the family speed limit. If the women in our family uh have always had issues with food or they always um you know have been unwell or don't take care of their bodies well then there is this unconscious loyalty that we will sometimes develop that says well who am i to be healthy and uh in the body that i desire to be strong, to uh, eat right, to do who am I to do those things? If no one else, if the other women or if no one else in my family is doing these things. And because we have this unconscious need to belong, because we have this unconscious need to, um, uh, you know, not be excluded, we will subconsciously fall in line with the same habits, so that we don't outpace anyone else in our family. That doesn't always happen, but it is definitely something that does.
0: Wow. Okay. So, let's go into the whole mother wound. And I know you explained it a little mm-hmm. bit at the beginning, mm-hmm. but let me ask you this, and I hope to God I'm not the first person who's ever asked you this, but why the mother does not does what about the dad? <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I get that question all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. Why why are we always blamed? Why is it always the woman's fault? Right. Um it's not. And here here's the first the first premise is that this work is never about blaming mom. It's never about fault. It's about um, recognizing the relationship between mother and daughter through the generations and how out of love and loyalty, we will continue those narratives, right? So it's never about blame. It's about how do we find the facts that have been running the narrative of the women in our lives so that we can heal and create a new legacy for our daughters. Mm -hmm. It's always about that. It's never about Oh, you know, I got to blame mom for all my issues and problems in life because I'm a mother too, right? I don't want my daughter blaming me. (laughs) Believe me. (laughs) Same here. Yeah. Um, But it is the mother because that is the first, uh, it's our first love. It is the first orientation that we have to the world. She is our first caretaker. Uh, She's the way that we first learn about what it means to be um, interdependent with somebody, to feel loved by somebody, uh, to, um, to feel disconnected from somebody if we don't have a good relationship. It's the first chance that we have to understand what boundaries are. So dad is also very important in this picture, but if you think about it, if we orient to the world through mom's eyes, and we also orient to dad through mom's eyes. Mm-hmm. So what is the uh, relationship? The first thing we know about dad is the way that mom feels about dad. Is mom, while she's pregnant with us, in good relationship with dad? Is that, is that partnership nurturing? Are they connected? Do they love each other? Uh, are, is he caring to her? Like, is, is that a good relationship or are they in turmoil? Are they, um, you know, do they have a good relationship? Is he even in the picture? Like all of those things that we would eventually learn about dad comes from the eyes of mom and through her body, even starting as early as being in utero. So dad's important. Definitely not left out of the conversation, but we work through the mother wound first.
0: Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you, how does this impact our relationships? But- (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we could be here all day I know I was going to (laughs) say we could be here all day Um, (laughs) I mean obviously I mean I'm going to say of course um, and I I guess give us the the cliff note version of it because you gave us the, the reasoning behind how it's important to acknowledge especially when we're going on this nutrition journey because it's going to impact our food. Yeah. So let's talk about how is it going to impact our relationships with other people? Because for some mm-hmm. people, you may have someone that may say, well, I, you know, I'm not my mother. I'm not my dad. I, you know, I'm not like them. And I'm going to start this whole <laughs> new way of having this relationship. What do you say I don't know if I should say, what do you say to those people, but what are your thoughts when you're going into this relationship in your mindset that this is going to be a, a, a better relationship than what you had with your mom or your dad?
1: I think if you've not done any of the work to, that would make you say, I think if you say, I'm not like my mom and I'm not like my dad, there's already a wound there right? Because we are, we are our parents. We come from them. We are influenced by them. The way that we show up in love is influenced by the way that they show up in love with each other, with themselves. And so if, our initial reaction is to say, I'm not like them. Well, then you are going to, not only are you like them, but you're gonna attract a partner that is gonna ding every button and push every button that you, or, or show up in every way that you reject your parents. So the first thing is, is to resolve the issues and the relationship with your parents. That doesn't always mean that you get to have a physical and active relationship with your mom and dad, um, or with, with mom if we're talking about them here. What it does mean is that you shift the internal story that you carry about the relationship that you have with your mother, and so instead of saying I'm nothing like my mother, and I and I talk about this because I've been through this process myself, I'm nothing like my mother. And really, what I what I found out um, is I'm everything like my mother. Right. So how can I accept that? How can I honor the ways that I'm like her that are positive, and and honor her? in allowing her to carry what is hers and allow myself to heal what is mine so that as I move forward, I'm doing so in a more healed place because my relationship with my mother uh, isn't still in turmoil uh, because I've accepted her for who she is because I have accepted that um, maybe she didn't have everything to give me that I needed as a little girl and that I will never get that from her. Resolving that little piece is huge because the mother wound and the ways that the mother wound shows up in our life is so much about us being in that fight to get what we didn't get from her. Right. And so guess what we'll do. We will show up in every relationship trying to get what we didn't get from our mom with that partner and that partner and that relationship or that friendship or that whatever that relationship is will collapse in the weight of that because our partners, our friendships, our friends, they're not our mother. So until we resolve this with our mom all of our other relationships are going to be a direct reflection of that internal, the way that we carry that relationship internally. A great book, if anyone's interested, is called Attached. And it is a book by, um, I think it's Peter Levine. Um, I will double check, but it is a book that um, talks about attachment theory and how uh, we attach and, and connect in relationships and how it's directly tied to our relationship with our primary caregivers. Um, I say mom, many people say primary caregivers, um, but uh, how you, again, kind of going back to the same conversation, how you show up in relationship is how you have what was uh, shown up in your, relation, in your parents with, in relationship with your parents. And it's attached by Amir Levine. I got that, got that wrong. Uh, A-M-I-R beam.
0: -hmm. Okay. Uh, First of all, you're amazing because you figured out what I was trying to ask you and I didn't ask you, (laughs) but you got it. Um, It's okay. I knew where you were going. (laughs) Um, And secondly, yes. So just uh, to give you a little background with myself, I did my master's thesis on attachment theory. Mm. I definitely did. And it was the, because my question was, well, why is it always the mom? And they did say the primary caregiver. um, Mm -hmm. And that I mean, at the time, and that was a couple, that was a long time ago. And the the research, I mean, there was a lot of research there, but I know that since then, so much has changed Mm -hmm. since then. So that's so interesting to talk about and even look into for those of, those of you who are interested. So I'm glad you brought up that book and I'm glad you brought up, the whole uh, attachment situation. Um, so, with we talked about mother mother wound. We talked about what it is, how it impacts. Mm-hmm. You know, not only our relationships and even in our fitness and health journey. Um, you also mentioned uh, generational cycles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is that?
1: So that's really the, the patterns that continue through the generations of your family. So, um, you know, if uh, grandma was um, uh, the child of an alcoholic, um, how did that affect her in her life? Let's just say it made her incredibly uh, codependent and controlling. Right. So then mom, uh, comes along and she's a child of grandma who is codependent and controlling. And what does that then create in the, uh, we create in her as she then grows and becomes a mother. And so she may become, um, Oh, gosh, so many ways that could go. Um, <laughs> she may become also codependent, maybe right. merged, maybe controlling as well, mm-hmm. or she could be completely aloof, like yeah, I don't I don't want any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not be able to attach to her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So then we have this generation of detachment. Um, or not detachment, but we have this, these generational narratives about the ways that mothers show up to mother their daughters, and and so that's the generational patterns that start to, uh, that start to be created when trauma is not um, metabolized, when trauma is not felt, when we don't resolve. Whatever it is that's going on and and what we're feeling, and so it's just whatever. Again, like I said earlier, whatever is not resolved in one generation gets passed to the next.
0: Let's talk about those who are like, okay, yeah, Rev Shell, I have this trauma, (laughs) and now what? I recognize it because let's let's be honest. The first step is actually recognizing that there is trauma and recognizing, hey. I got to work on this because it's impacting my life right now. Yeah. Um, not in the best way. So, at that point, for some who are listening, what do I do now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's lots of ways that you could address it. I'm just one of them. Um, the fact that you get to the place or the person gets to the place where they're like, you know what, I think I'm going to stop this. I don't want to, I don't want to do this thing in our family anymore. I recognize it with my mom and her mom and, and I don't want my daughter to to feel this. I need to, how do I, how do I work on this? Right. Um, if someone were working with me, uh, how I, how I work with the mother wound is um, I use family mapping, family constellation, and hypnosis. So it looks like this. So family mapping is the process by which I use what's called the core language approach, uh, developed by Mark Wolin, who wrote a book called "It Didn't Start with You." Also recommend that book for anybody interested in doing this type of work, um, even just in their, in, you know, on themselves. Uh, He developed the core language approach that uses language in the way that we describe our families and the stories that we use to uh, to describe our families to really get to the heart of the core trauma. Um, And then once we understand what the core trauma is and how that relates to the issue that we are in session to resolve, then, um, and and we do that by uh, doing a family genogram. And so I might ask you questions like, uh, tell me about your mom. Give me two words that describe your mom. And somebody might say, uh, warm and loving or cold and, you know, heartless or, you know, controlling and distant. Um, okay. I know exactly what I'm those, that right there tells me exactly what I'm working with with my client. So let's then go back. I, I, I do expand it and, and say things like, okay, well give me two words that describe your relationship with your mom. And, you know, and I'll do that for generations for mom and her parents and dad and his parents. Um, I talk about then um, birth order. I, you know we talk a little bit about birth order. We talk about um, you know what is it that you blame Mom for? you know, and that question sometimes will stop somebody cold in their tracks because maybe they 've never thought about it, or maybe they 've never been given permission to actually say those words because to do so would be a re- be being a really bad daughter right you 're disloyal to me um, because that 's the narrative that they 're holding, so this is like the first time that they actually get to go. Well, I blame my mother for, you know, um, not loving me like I should be loved, you know? Okay. Well, then that also is going to give, get, let's get to the heart of the core trauma. Once we have that whole story and we put together the pieces and we've connected the dots and we know where this core trauma, where it originated. Where through the system that we take that story that you carry and we move it out into constellation, which is an experiential moment for you to have resolution to that story. And it looks like uh, a couple of different ways. If we're doing individual work, it looks like um, uh, utilizing objects as representatives to the people that we need to have these healing conversations with. And so we will sink into the body. Uh, get present with the body because really trauma work is all about the body. As we're moving through these healing conversations or we're saying these healing sentences, we start to connect with where that emotion lives within the body and we start to shift that story into metabolization and into resolution. And so um, once that is, once we've done that and that can take a few sessions because there may be a few narratives that we're working with, with, with the mother wound, one that, Continuously shows up is the need to do generational constellation with grandma, mom, and daughter, and my client, her mom, and grandma. And we need to somehow um, shift right? what's been carried. We need to shift the energy and we need to unkink the flow of love that has been stopped somewhere, wherever that trauma originated.
0: Okay, that is, you know, and I want to say that going through that whole process is not easy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that is not easy. I know you spoke about it and you're given the steps mm-hmm. of it, but actually being present mm-hmm. in that moment can that's deep. That's mm-hmm. some deep deep work and I can yeah. I can empathize why it's so hard for people to go back to that time and do that work because it mm-hmm. brings you back to that place but in order for you, you know what's that saying you got to go through it. You got to go through it and not over it. You got to go through what, I I don't remember that saying. Yeah. What is that saying? Do you know what I'm
1: saying? I, yeah. It's, it's like the, the premise of it is not to avoid it, but it's also yeah. not to go through it, right? It's to witness the emotion without yeah. becoming the emotion. Right. And right. I think so much of what people fear is that once they pull this thread, they'll become all of those emotions and they'll just fall apart. Mm-hmm. When you have a skilled clinician and somebody who's trauma-informed and knows how to walk you through that, there's a very delicate way that they bring you in through the emotion and out through regulation, in through the emotion, out through regulation. And so there's a very, um, it's kind of like a, 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 a Peter Levine, he's such a great somatic therapist, but he, he uses a slinky and it's like you open it and then you close it and you open it and then you close it. And that's the way that a skilled clinician can bring you through what it means to feel be present with whatever has been stored in the body because it's got to come up. You have to feel that. You have to acknowledge that. And then you have to find a way for it to move out of the body. And people do that in lots of different ways. Some people are runners. Some people are, you know, uh, they love to journal, like, you know, get a number two pencil and just write it out. It's, it's body movement. It's, I have, you know, uh, somebody who um, she walks her dog and uh, I tell her, okay, every time you take a step, when you walk that dog, you leave that emotion in the foot, in the, you know, in the footprint, in the sand. So, you know, there's the, physical ways that you engage the mind, body, and spirit in resolving that trauma. So it just doesn't sit in the body anymore. And then I work through hypnosis. Sometimes um, while we're doing constellation work, because hypnosis is about creating new mental images. um, But if I'm not doing the constellation work, then we have specific hypnosis sessions that deal with the triggers and then the connections that may still be subconsciously uh, there. And then we uh, learn to um, really create new neural pathways around the way you carried that story. So those three things together is very um, deep work. It's very intense work, but it is very rewarding work.
0: Uh, to get to the other side, so and I'm glad you brought the running part because I always tell people running is my yeah. prozac people. Yeah. <laughs> you know it is it is my time yeah. to express, and like you said, and God, you said something that really hit that you leave that emotion. It's just processing it while yeah. I'm running, I process everything mm. that I'm going through, mm-hmm. and then when I'm done, it's, it's gone. I mean, I don't want to say gone, but I left it there and I don't bring it back when I walk into my, you know, walk into my house with my kid and I'm not going to bring it into that space. So, Ah that's that
1: I'm telling you, yeah, that's such a powerful way to do it to combine physical exercise and visualization into the metabolization process because you know somatics uh, is about moving your body, it's about engaging your body, so how do you engage your body in that release, and running is one of the best ways that you can do that. I mean, hands down
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's why I'm addicted. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> um, working okay. out your trauma. <laughs> no, no, that's why I'm like, hey, today's going to be a six miler, folks. Um, <laughs> so, um, I hear oh my God. You said so many amazing things. I'm going to ask you a question to close. And the question is, when you think about your own journey mm-hmm. and where you are now, mm-hmm. what is one thing you would tell a woman that is the start of the journey that you think would be most beneficial for her to hear?
1: Mm. Mm. There are so many things. I know. (laughs) I think, um, I think the first thing I would tell her is that she has permission to heal. I think that we so often feel like uh, we have to carry what we're carrying for whatever reason we have. There's so many reasons and sometimes we just need to hear that we have permission to heal. And from there, I think I would tell her to trust herself and that she really is her own healer and that she ultimately will know what's best for her. She just has to learn how to reconnect to that inner voice and to find the right partners that will walk alongside of her on her journey with her. Nobody has more authority over her healing process than she does. Not a doctor, not a therapist, not me, not anybody, only her. And when she gets empowered to walk uh, in her truth and to do what is right for her, that can only be healing for her. So, so just trust yourself.
0: You gave me chills when you said that. That is mm-hmm. That was amazing. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. And I want to know where can the listeners get to you? I know you have Instagram. And I'll put this mm-hmm. in the in the, uh, the notes, but where? what's your handle for Instagram?
1: So Instagram, I'm at RevShell, R-E-V-C-H-E-L-L-E. Um, and I'm the same on uh, Facebook, only at uh, Facebook, it's uh, DV for my last name. Somebody else has Rebshell, and she's not done anything with that page. I'm a little bitter about that, but that's okay. I'll just leave it. <laughs> I don't say what she has a page. Um, so yeah, you can reach me in those two places or my website, RevShell.com. Um, I've got some videos on there. I've got a couple of workbooks that I've written to help you really start this process if you're totally into this self-paced thing.
0: Um and uh those might be really helpful. Just start be helpful. Okay, great. All right. Well thank you, Rev Shell, for talking to me today. I am very grateful for you being here. And thank you everyone for listening. Bye.
1: Thank you.